All right, that's the name of the game, Pet Chat. Team of experts who we whittled down to uh, one expert today. It's Do- just me today. Dr. Kimberly. Well, that's not just you. You're, you're bringing all the advice for us. I hope so. So all- I need everybody to hit me with lots of phone calls and questions today. Uh, now, this is the week as we've got plenty of time. There's nobody in that other chair. That's so right. you can, all of the real curly questions, the ones that take some in-depth analysis. We'll try. We'll give so it a try. So you're shaking your head saying no. <laughs> no, in- we want the simple tick and flick ones, don't just we? Just lots. Let's like the speed dating, you know, let's hit me with speed, lots of questions. Speed, quick ones. Um, Not dating. No, it's, it's speed something. Speed trivia? No, it's not that either. <laughs> Diagnose, okay. Diagnosis. Diagnosis, yeah. Dog, I don't know. 2NURFM's Pet Chat. Just, I know we'll be discussing a few pointers a little bit later because we're, we're sort of coming almost into that warmer weather again, aren't we? Absolutely. And it's been beautiful this week. It's been lovely and warm mm. and hot. We've had a little bit of rain this morning. Um, but to me, spring always means warm weather, damp weather. It means mozzies. And I thought we would, we don't talk about mozzies and how they can affect our um, pets very often. Um, but mozzies can be really problematic. And, and, depending on what kind of pet you have, you'll see different um, uh, disease syndromes and they can cause different levels of problems. So if we start with our little bunny friends, with rabbits, mm-hmm. um, most people who have rabbits are aware that in Australia we have two main viral diseases that are both uh, carried by mosquitoes and biting arthropods, um, and that's myxomatosis and um, Khaleesi virus. Now, obviously, those are diseases that have been released into our native, uh, sorry, into our wild populations to try to control the feral rabbit population. Um, but they also can affect our pet rabbits, which is really sad. Yeah, well, um, the disease doesn't know the difference. The does disease it? doesn't know the difference. We have a vaccine available for Khaleesi virus. In fact, we have a brand new vaccine um, after, you know, 30 odd years where we've had the exact same vaccine um, for Khaleesi virus. Last year, we got a new vaccine, which is a dual strain vaccine against Khaleesi virus. And if you are are a rabbit owner and if you're not aware of that or your rabbits aren't up to date, we would definitely recommend you get them vaccinated with your local veterinarian. Um, but myxomatosis has no vaccine in Australia and we will never get it. As you know, as far as we know, the government has put their foot down and said there is no way we're going to re- allow a vaccine for myxomatosis to come into Australia. So the only... Um, so why is that? Oh, no listen, could... it's really political, but it, it's okay. about the fact that um, a vaccinated strain, so if you have a vaccine strain, mm-hmm. it can attenuate the virus so it makes it less lethal, mm-hmm. which means that it's less effective. That virus is less effective at curbing numbers of feral animals. Um, so if we have vaccinated populations in, in the country, then they worry that we're not going to have as good a, a control program. It's not a very good control program anyway. It doesn't work that well, but... That's the reason. And um, and they, they've made a sort of like drawn a line in the sand. There's, they've made a political stand about it. That, that won't happen, um, I don't think, in my foreseeable lifespan. Um, so mozzie control is really, really, really important. If you have rabbits and they're spending time outside, particularly at dawn and dusk, you really need to make sure that they're in a rabbit-proof hutch. Sorry, not a rabbit-proof hutch. That, that's helpful too, um, but a mozzie-proof hutch. So that you're using mozzie fly screen so that the mozzies and the flies and the fleas can't get to them um, because we do think that bite, biting arthropods are the main way to transmit this disease uh, in rabbits. So that's really, really important. Um, heartworm disease is the other mosquito-borne um, disease that we see a lot of, uh, or not a lot. It is 
it's around. We see it. We've had two cases in my hospital um, in the last two years. And that doesn't sound like very much, but um, heartworm disease is a, is a really slowly progressing disease and it's carried by mosquitoes. So um, your dog gets bit by an infected mosquito and you're not actually going to see any symptoms of disease for at least 12 to 18 months, probably six, six to 18 months. Um, if you're really unlucky and they get a high high load. And so that disease, we often don't see any symptoms until the dogs are already in heart failure. There's no real premonitory oh, signs. Terrible. By the time you've got adult worms growing and living in the heart, um, the dogs are often in trouble. And as you can imagine, it can be then tricky to get rid of those worms. Um, so for heartworm disease, prevention is definitely the way to go. And there's lots of different products on the market in Australia that will do prevention, but they fall into one of two broad categories, one being a monthly something, a tablet or a top spot or something like that, that you give once a month, or the other one is a long acting injection, and that has to be given by a veterinarian. So there's a few different options um, that way. Um, and then the thing that we see with cats is that a lot of cats will develop mozzy allergies. So they don't just get little itchy bites, but their whole faces, their noses, their ear tips can get really, really swollen. And although the disease itself isn't super severe, they're not going to die from it. Um, it can make them really, really uncomfortable. And we can start to see cats that are really scratching at themselves and they can start to damage the, you know, the skin and the fur on the rest of their face and they rub at their face and they might accidentally poke <clears throat> their eye or, or, you know, those sorts of things because Bit of a domino effect, are really isn't it? itchy. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, mozzies are something that nobody loves mozzies unless you're a bird. Um, but, you know, I think there's something that we need to think about in terms of what's the effect of this particular parasite having on my pet or the potential effect on my pet. All right, more summer fun with Dr. Kimberly <laughs> in a couple of minutes. Uh, g'day, Bella at Charlestown. Your seven-year-old dash hound uh, is licking its armpits. What's happening, Bella? Oh, hi. Um, he's actually 11. Um, 11, okay, yep. Yeah, it's just, especially at night, mm -hmm. but um, throughout the day as well, we've constantly got to stop him from licking his armpits. Um, yep. We've taken him to the vet before about it, yeah. um, and there doesn't, like, we use a medicated shampoo on him. He mm -hmm. doesn't seem to have any skin irritations. So just wondering if there's anything we can do. I mean, we always sort of change the tone in our voice and say, look, um, yeah. No licking, no licking and, and he'll, he knows he's doing the wrong thing. Yeah. yeah. And so so the vet hasn't diagnosed any kind of a yeast infection or anything like no, that there? No. no okay. Is no. he um, is he really dark? Like is the skin really hyperpigmented in that area and really dark it, and black? It is dark and mm. he's like his fur is like the, I think they call it red, mm -hmm. um, that yeah. goldy brown colour. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, there's actually a condition that dachshunds get in the skin. Um, the name is not coming to the forefront of my brain at the moment, but it actually is um, to do with thickening and hyperpigmentation of the skin in the armpits. Um, it is probably a bit of an inflammatory condition, but there's a genetic um, basis to it. The trouble with these guys is that they probably are um, irritated and inflamed and the, the licking becomes a little bit of like a um, obsessive behavior almost, yeah. you know, so it started out, there was probably some irritation there and we licked because we were itchy, but now we're licking because we're used to licking and that makes it feel a bit better and feel a little bit less itchy. And it is really, um, you know, sort of a challenging um, thing to get 
under control it's, it's like some dogs who lick their feet um you know they often started licking their feet because they were a bit itchy but now it's become a bit of a like a self-soothing mm-hmm. sort of thing uh so i think making sure that you're using that uh, medicated shampoo relatively frequently because we do anytime there's an excess of moisture there they can be prone to um, secondary yeast infections on the skin which will also be itchy which will encourage them to lick um, so that's really important um you could certainly um discuss a referral to a dermatologist with your veterinarian because some of these dogs will still be allergic even if they haven't got an infection there they'll have an allergic basis um, to their disease I have some stories about my own dog this week with that sort of uh, issue um, and um, and then the other thing is yeah per- trying to prevent this little dog from licking because it is one of these things that the more he licks the more he's going to want to lick because he's probably making making himself itchy and irritated um, so you know you might think about trying to get him a little um, uh, dog pajamas you know a little um, sunsuit or something like that that you can put on that's going to protect the armpits you could think about putting a cone or a donut collar on him to try to prevent it particularly if he's just doing it sort of through the night and when he's you know sort of settling um, there may be some behavioral um, you know aspect that if we try to break the cycle a little bit can help um, but yeah they're a bit tricky and and there is usually an underlying medical reason initially but it doesn't always you know pan out if he's been doing it a long time it may, it may be gone and we might be just looking at behavioral issue on top of that now mm-hmm. so it's a little bit tricky but um, I would look at you know Dax and get putting him a little pajama um, top you can you can order little dog sunsuits and things like that and see about sliding him into some pajamas before you put him to bed and see if that will prevent him from licking at it and give it a bit of a chance to settle down that sounds great. Thank okay. you so much. You're welcome. All right. Best of luck, Bella. Good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon, Susan at Tanair, but uh, we're looking to feed up your cats. Uh, yes. I've got a couple of um, senior cats, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering if the vet, if he's got any ideas on some food I can make for him at home, because it gets quite expensive buying cat food from the shop. Yeah. So are these, how old are these cats? You said they're seniors, but how old roughly? 17. Oh, so they're pretty senior. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the biggest issue we have about making homemade diets um, for cats is going to be that elderly cats often, a really, really high rate of them, will have underlying kidney disease starting. So cats, they're sort of like their kidneys aren't really built to last the, the duration of what the rest of the cat is. Um, and it's one of the things that often starts to fail before everything else does. And kidneys are really, really sensitive to excessive amounts of protein. Um, So cats are what we call obligate carnivores. They do need to eat meat. They do need to have protein in the diet. But when we're trying to uh, keep senior cats going for a long period of time, um, the best thing that we can do is to actually have them on a kidney-friendly diet so that they're getting enough protein to keep their heart and their um, muscles and things going, but not so much that we're causing damage uh, to their kidney or that we're, we're hastening the, the damage to their kidneys as their kidneys start to just generally, you know, not work very well. Um, right. And home-cooked diets, too, tend to be pretty rich in um, protein. You know, most people are looking at, you know, doing things like chicken and, and other mints and meats and those sorts yeah. of things. So, yeah. um 
It, the ideal situation would be that you get them a really good quality kidney-friendly dry food and then that they get some wet food um, on top of that because we know that, again, kidney health, we want to keep these cats really, really well hydrated. Um, there is a, um, a website you can go to um, called Balance It, like balance.it, um, and they may give you some in, um, information about how to, to do a home-cooked diet for your cat. Um, and and I would just assume, even if these cats are totally normal, I would just assume that they have kidney disease because they're at that age, you know, it, it's just about you can guarantee it. Um, and so you'd want to put in that you're, you know, you're trying to cook a diet that is a friendly um, sort of diet, a, a kidney friendly sort of diet for them. Um I guess the other thing is that, you know, a lot of the, the wet tinned foods and stuff that you buy in the grocery store, a lot of times these are just, you know, it's expensive water. They have a, a 75 to 80% um, water content um, with some flavoring in it. And so that does make it pretty expensive. And so, you know, I guess if you can, um, if you can encourage the cats to drink lots of water and feed them a dry food, that may be more cost effective for you than actually making a homemade diet. Um, and by doing things, you know, to increase water intake sometimes that means we'll actually put extra um, water or a bit of um, tuna water in with the dry food to sort of soften it make it a bit wet um, yeah. we're making sure they have lots of access to, to water bowls around so that they're encouraged to drink you know water really frequently um, and that that may be more affordable you know for you because buying you know little tins at like 89 cents a tin it, it does get yeah. very expensive so yes, it does yeah, yeah. Okay. So you, so you think I should just get kidney friendly um, the dry food? I think that that's probably good. Bang for your buck, that's probably going to be a better option um, in terms of yep. keeping your cats healthy and, um, yep. and you know, preserving their kidney function. Yeah, yeah. Uh, best of luck, Susan, at Tanair, but there. Jason from Cardiff, we've got you here as well. You're looking to deworm a bit of a collection of birds, Jason. Yeah, mate. Yeah, that's my problem is it's a mixed collection. Yeah. So it's a very, very large ivory. And okay. the bottle says that pigeons must have a half dosage. So. Okay. So what kind of birds have you got? Like give me a list of, of a few of the species you've got. I've got um, nectar eaters. I've got meat yep. eaters. I've yep. got seed eaters. I've got fruit eaters. Okay. So you, and so you've got passerines as well as parrots and things in there? And Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. I've got everything. So it is a little bit tricky when you've got really mixed species, um, you know, sort of like that, um, because like some of your nectar eaters, I mean, usually those those wormers are an in-water wormer, right? Is that what yours is? Yeah. 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 So then you're going to have your nectar eaters and they're not going to drink as much water because they're going to be still eating the nectar. Um, you're going to have some of your birds, your seed eaters, your passerines and things like that, that will tend to drink more water because um, that's just the way they are. They drink more water out of a water bowl, so they're going to yeah, potentially so, get a higher so dose. Should all my well, inevitably all my birds just to have to have a pigeon dose, mm. or can pigeons take a little bit more than the bottle says? <laughs> yeah, listen. Or should I sort of go halfway between or something? I don't know. I would, I would assume that probably the pigeons will be fine. Actually, for some of the medications we use, the pigeons actually need to have a higher dose. Um, so okay. I wouldn't be yep. overly worried about the pigeons getting overdosed with it, provided yep. that they're well birds at this stage. If you've got birds yep. that are obviously sick, um, then you don't want to overdo them. Um, really, really important that you don't worm them or you don't start that... Um, 
um, series on a really hot day because we have absolutely had cases where the birds either don't like the taste of the water with the medication into it, yes, so they I've don't seen drink. That already with a few of my cockies. Yeah, and so they, they don't drink, drink it. <laughs> then they get dehydrated, and then we have problems. I've, I've had a, um, a flock of. Um, uh, budgies, where you know we lost a significant percentage of the birds out of that aviary, and I think it was because it just happened to be on a really, really hot day, and the birds wouldn't drink, and they died of dehydration. Failing that, the other thing that can happen is if they're not super worried about the taste, and then they go and drink excessive amounts, and then they can get overdosed on it. Yeah. Um, so you know, do it on a on a moderate temperature day. Um, if you can, for your nectar eaters, you probably want to um, like sort of withhold some of their um, you know wet food for a little while so that they get an opportunity. So there's a little bit of an incentive yeah. for them to yeah. drink early on in the day. And just be watching out for, you know, birds, if you're looking at them and go, oh, gee, you're looking a little bit dodgy, um, then those are the birds that it may be worthwhile trying to net them and pull them out of the um, out of yeah. the aviary and, yeah. and just treat them individually for a couple of days and then put them back in. Yeah. Thank you. You're very welcome. Good luck with it. Yeah, Jason, she's got a, he has everything except an emu in that, Avery. He <laughs> you might have that too, yeah. <laughs> Going to squeeze this one in. G'day, okay. AJ at Islington, your five-year-old Burmese cat. Uh, what's happening there, AJ? Well, I adopted her last year when she was four yep. or just under four, and she's quite divine. She's got the most beautiful personality, but she is obsessive about licking me, mm-hmm. and I just... It's a deal breaker. Yeah, okay. And so she's licking you. It says she makes a lot of noise in the middle of the night, but she's not licking you in the middle of the night. She's licking you during the day as she's... Oh, she'll lick me anytime she can get near me. I sometimes wake up because she's licking my face. Yeah, or, okay. Um, and what, I've, what I've, I've tried everything, I've decided to get some fell away to see if it yeah. can calm her down yeah. in the bedroom. Definitely. Um, but... Um, I noticed this morning when she was licking me, I grabbed behind her neck like a mother would with a yeah. kitten, and she seemed to like that. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of these cats that have um, oral fascinations with things, depending on what her history was like, but we see that there's a really high rate of that in cats that were either orphaned and hand-reared or sometimes they've just had a bit of a rocky start. And you may not know, you know, what happened with her in her I first her six to eight weeks. Yeah, okay. Um, so you're from a breeder. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, it's one of those really sort of tricky things because we find it really distasteful when the cat is licking us. Um, and yet they, you know, they like the salt on us. Um, every every Mm -hmm. cat will, will do that. I guess, I think definitely the Felly way is, um, is the place to start for sure. You can, in this sort of situation, this would be a situation where using a deterrent, um, which we would actually consider a punishment, but, you know, where you put something on your skin and then... Like lemon or something. Yeah, lemon or um, a bit of Tabasco people talk about using sometimes, um, and then set her up a little bit to lick at it because what you're trying to do is to deter her from, um, you know, expressing that behaviour. And she doesn't. there's no requirement for her to do that. You know, that particular behaviour is not fulfilling any particular role for her. So I think in this instance that there's no major drama with doing that um, if it works um, we obviously don't want to do anything that's going to be you know injurious no. to her but you know something that that's going to teach her that oh actually this licking you know licking somebody is not all it's cracked up to be um, I don't think that that's that, that there's a major concern I with don't, that 
she's as I said, she's got a beautiful nature. I've yeah. not I've had a Siamese before, but I've never had a Burmese. Yeah, and she's very needy. Yeah, they they are really very interactive. We we actually discuss yeah you know that Burmese are very dog like um in yeah. their behaviours. They're not very cat like. They're much more dog like. They really yep. um seek out a lot of attention and, yep. and behaviour, and it does make them really lovely cats. But they can be quite um, needy and demanding and things as well. So yeah. To NURFM 103.7, Pet Chat is the name of the game. Look, a couple of minutes left for you if you have a question for our Pet Chat team, which is Dr. Kimberly Earl today. <laughs> and you. Well, I'm not answering your questions. <laughs> uh, first thing you do is you, yeah, no, I've got no idea, no clue. But what we can do is um, update your family if you're looking to add either a dog or cat. Our dog or the cat of the week are here. And Kimberly, we're going to start where we should start with the cat. You, I know, you You are a cat Absolutely. Man. Yeah. It's, you, we finally found a flaw with the feline earlier today with their kidneys. Yes. They're, yeah. They're well, sort of... I mean, there, there's a few things with cats. Cats, we always say in our in my industry, we say mm. cats are not just small dogs. Um, they're quite their own beasties. But, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, they do have kidney issues. So we have a little cat of the week here. His name is Jackson. He looks like a lovely, um, nice little lean tabby cat. And Jackson has a floppy right ear. So he's got a little, one upright and one sort of floppy down which makes him really really cute um the blurb on this little guy says he's a young adult cat that he's really really playful he enjoys um you know chasing games with um you know strings and sticks and those sorts of things uh it does say that he can uh, be a little bit of a troublemaker sometimes but that his antics make him really enjoyable to be around and, and to watch he's good with kids a little bit wary of dogs and not awesome with other cats so he probably wants to go to a home that doesn't have any other cats at the moment um, where he can be the only cap capel of your eye the apple of your no, that's eye, not a thing no, that, okay, no, no 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 that's, anyway I'm trying uh, to make a bad joke but uh, anyway made it worse single cat exactly single cat household yeah just a one cat and obviously mm-hmm. he will be pouncing all over things and but he does love people so that's a bit of a bonus that's really good yeah it says he's really really smoochy he's agile he can leap to great mm-hmm. heights with ease that probably means you're going to have to put food away <laughs> That's how I read that. Yeah, because yeah, he'll be Leaps like, look, from great heights. He'll be like, hmm, I know you've we'll put my cat on food the on the bench. Yeah, I'll be yeah. jumping on that. And anyway, I'll be- um, but it looks like he's a really lovely cat and they are looking to rehome him. He's already desexed and um, will have had, you know, probably his vaccinations and stuff like that. So right. if you're looking to add a cat. Absolutely. And if a little dog is your thing, how about Molly, the 10 month old silky terrier? A bit, of a bit of a goofball, this one. Yeah, so she's a cute little, um, uh, little fluffy little thing. Um, She is a crazy goofy pup, loves giving her humans lots of kisses and love. Um, Looks like she's had a real turnaround. She came into care as a really scared and shy dog, but has really come out of her own um, and is progressing really well with her training. Um, But they do say that she will need a family committed to ongoing training. So she um, probably missed out in those early few months of, you know, some of the basic manners. And so she's probably still working on that. But you absolutely can continue to train, you know, a slightly older puppy and she's still just a puppy um, at 10 months of age Um, it says she hasn't yet been tested with cats or pocket pets um, and doesn't say whether she's okay with other dogs, but um, suitable with for children eight years and over. Um, and she's a little dog, so you'll need a really good um, robust fence that doesn't have any small gaps. Um, and they want her to go to a house where she's going to be allowed to sleep inside the home. Um, so, yeah, she's looking really lovely. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got Molly, and we the dog of the weekend, of course, uh, Jackson the cat as well. Now, if you'd like some info on those, you can head up to the Pet Chat page at our website. 
website at 2nurfm.com.au. A couple of minutes left if you have a question for uh, Dr. Kimberly Earl today, and we might even squeeze in, Kimberly. I know we've had that warm way. A little bit more fun in the sun. Fun in the sun. And by fun, we mean not fun. Not fun at all. No. What are we going to watch out for hazards coming into spring and summer? Some more hazards for your pets to keep in mind as well. A pet chat at 2NURFM. And Annette at Walla Robba, your cat is a little uh, listless. No energy, no appetite. What's happening there with your cat, Annette? Yeah, he was uh, a bit flat yesterday morning, unusual for him. We live on a farm. He's a four-and-a-half-year-old, dissexed male cat, normally very bright and bouncy. So we he's been to the vet. He's had bloods that were unremarkable. He's afebrile, um, and he's, he does have a heart murmur. Um, but he had no respiratory distress. He had, an, I think, an echocardiogram, and his heart wasn't enlarged or anything like that. Okay. And that's just yesterday, between yesterday Yesterday, and today? Yesterday. Yesterday they gave him uh, analgesia and an Mm anti-inflammatory. We picked him up yesterday afternoon. He ate a little bit and drank a little bit, but he still... Definitely not, not his usual yeah. self, and I'm just looking for any other ideas of yeah. what. Yeah, yeah, tricky because I mean, all the all the you know the normal things that we would um, tick off the list, you know, in terms of um, pyrexia, like fever and and yep. um, an abscess somewhere brewing, that sort of thing is going to be really common. Um, is he any? Is he a particular breed of cat, or is he just a moggy? Uh, he's just a moggy. I yeah. think okay. like a white one with some patches. Yeah, um, I guess he's yeah. a big cat, and he's tricky because he's, he's a very, very good ratter and mouser yeah. and everything like that. Yeah, um, and he's young, so I mean that that heart murmur. I guess the question is whether you know is the heart murmur an indication of something else going on? We do see heartworm disease in cats, but it's pretty rare. Um, but it is a possibility. Um, or is is that heart an actual? You know, is, is there a um, a primary problem? in the heart is that the, what's causing the issue or is that just a, a, a secondary sort of thing um, I guess I would always be um, cautious about you know fluid therapy and making sure that we're, we are supporting his kidneys through this if he's not eating and drinking very well even though he's yep. young and with the with the heart murmur you have to sort of toe the line carefully um, sort of with that um, in our hospital we would often start looking for you know things that are a little bit further afield probably um, uh, FIV FELV testing him, particularly if he's um, you know spends time outside on on the property, um, would probably have a look at um, maybe a blood. Um, there's a um, blood parasite panel that you can do, looking for things like Hemobartonella, things like that. Most of those cats though will have a fever, so it is unusual if he if he doesn't have a fever yeah, and no, he's just he sort of hanging he around. Didn't. Um, and I guess the other issue is, has he had some sort of um, low-grade trauma? You know, has he um, has he been picked up by a cat, uh, by a dog, and he's just, like, really stiff and sore? He might not be limping, but maybe he's got a lot of muscle soreness. Um, snake bite is always still a possibility. Um, it's early, but we've had a couple warm, you know, early in the season, but we've had a couple mm. warm days, and so that's a possibility because we know that cats that have a red belly black snake bite will often um, not show a lot of symptoms. They don't tend to get really sick, but they can take a num- number of days or even weeks to get sort of back to normal. Okay. So, um, well, if he's not improving, check back in. Yeah, any, but, um, check yeah, back in with your vet back. if he's yeah. not improving yeah. in another twenty-four hours. 
Best of luck, Annette. And uh, we've run out of time, Kim. We, we are. We are out of time. So next next time you hear you bottle up that summer fun, the things <laughs> we'll to look out back, for. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's next week. I think I'm oh, back next week. Oh, well, there week, you so. go. So, mm. uh, all right, stuff to look out for for your pets next week. Uh, Dr. Kim Leal with us for Pet Chat as we wrap it up today. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>